AdamandEve.com is the world's number one online source for adult toys. And I'm Horrified is the world's number one source for nightmares, aren't we, Sam? We so are. So, we've joined forces to bring you some sweet deals. Use our offer code HORROR at checkout for 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's H-O-R-R-O-R. AdamandEve.com. We're not horrified at all. Hello, everyone. Hi, listeners. Welcome to episode 34 of I'm Horrified. Kazam, I am your host, Allie Rayner. And I'm Sam Buntich, just doing my best. We're both here just trying. (laughs) Um... (laughs) Oh, God. We're just trying. Um, Maybe that should... We were talking about tattoos earlier, and we were saying I should get one that just... Just stop. Stop. Stop it. Yeah. But what if... On your hand. Yeah. You just look down at it, and it's like, ugh. But then what if on the other one, it was like, just try something. Anything. Just try it. Do anything. <laughs> That's then, our motto. And I look at whatever hand is more appropriate for the moment. I just want a tattoo on my wrist in script that just says, can you just... <laughs> and then it's just like a dot, dot, dot. And I take that as whatever it means for me that day. But mm. I could always hear that. Absolutely. <sighs> We're back for another exciting episode. And I'm going to be talking about memory misattribution today. We already started talking about that in the Satanic Panic episode. Yes. But I'm going to talk about it more. Because there's so much more. And Sam, what are you going to talk about? I'm going to talk about Kingdom of the Sun. What even is that? Spoilies, I kind of know what it is. You kind of know what it is. Because this idea was birthed last night, and we'll tell you the story. But we can't get there yet. We're not there. Can't get there yet. First, we have to talk about this thing that I have just barely brushed up against when I talked about the satanic panic, and I'm so excited, slash not excited at all, to learn more. Well, like, the thing is that you barely brushed into it, and I'm still barely brushing into it. I have five pages for you, (laughs) and still, like... I realized quickly that I bit off more than I can chew trying to say, like, memory, isn't that crazy? It's, there's so much. Yeah. Um, so today we're going to talk about memory misattribution, which includes false memories, which is something that you talked about. Yes. So half of my job is done, because you already explained what that is, you, <laughs> pretty I mean, much. Just in case people, like, only listen to the episodes where you do the main story, like I do. Yes. Then maybe you exactly. should give them a refresher. <laughs> I have a quick recap. Um, <laughs> so in that episode, you talked about how false memories can often be a byproduct when individuals attempt to recall memories mm-hmm. in psychotherapy. And that can be bad. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and it can even make you accuse demons of trying to murder you. Mm -hmm. Or, I don't know, I wasn't listening. Um. (laughs) Me neither. (laughs) You also talked about Elizabeth Loftus a little bit and her Lost in the Mall experiment. And that's a cornerstone of false memories. And that is when she asked people to give her details about an incident in their childhood that never actually happened. And 25% of the people she interviewed gave, like, tons of details. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, it was on a Tuesday and the mall was in, (laughs) you know. Uh, The human brain is indeed a vortex. (laughs) So false memory is just that, a psychological phenomenon where a person recalls something that didn't happen. So to investigate this concept, we have to discard some pretty fundamental beliefs that a lot of us have about memory. Namely, the idea that if you remember something, it happened. Sam, how do you feel about discarding that idea? I'd rather keep it. Can I keep it? No. I brushed up against this topic for the satanic panic. And so, like, not only do I implicitly believe you, 
But I believe right. the stuff that I myself read. That's sweet of you, because when you were talking about <laughs> Nightmare Bacteria, I was like, what if you were just wrong? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, I'd still rather just believe... I guess what I'm saying is that, like, maybe other people have false memories, but I don't. <laughs> but I don't, right. No, we're too strong. Before we dive into that, I'll give you a break. <laughs> I'm going to give you a little more context for Elizabeth Loftus. She's basically the cornerstone of the research that's been done on false memory so far. She's done several experiments in addition to the Loft the Mall experiment. One other example is an experiment where she showed subjects video footage of car crashes and asked some subjects how fast the cars were going when they hit each other and other subjects how fast the cars were going when they smashed into each other. And the verbs that she used in each scenario were a better predictor of the speeds that were given than the actual speeds of the cars. Interesting. But that one you can kind of believe, right? Yeah. Like, that makes sense, you know, yeah. you're being kind of pushed into You're being led, into kind it. of, which you are in the other one still, but... Furthermore, they asked some subjects if they saw shattered glass when the cars hit each other, and others if they saw shattered glass when the cars smashed into each other. There was no shattered glass in any of the videos. Mm-hmm. However, a large percentage of the latter group reported shattered glass. So that's not even, like, a matter of perception. That's just false. Like, yeah. the Lost in the Mall thing. It didn't happen. It never happened. Um, and it couldn't have been misconstrued, like, the speed of the cars. It was planted. Something as simple as a verb, not even a full story, just a verb, inserts things into your mind. Mm-hmm. Something I read that Elizabeth Loftus said that I loved was along the lines of, think of your memories like a Wikipedia page. You can change it, but so can other people. Yep. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Um, but, like, that's all wacky and silly until you think about how fucking terrifying it is. And it's especially terrifying when you put it into the context of what we talked about during Satanic Panic, and even in episode 32 two, two weeks ago, that in our justice system, if someone gives you the right framework, they can change what you think you believe. Yeah. So if you're being interviewed or examined by an investigator, even if they don't mean to, if they have an idea of what happened, they're going to be giving you adjectives and verbs and little cues And then that is going to give a framework to your memory to start Mm -hmm. working. This can be especially true in cases that involve trauma or PTSD because someone's already confused and struggling with what their brain is forcing them to forget or remember. Mm -hmm. So that's just like a total shitstorm. Yeah, Jesus. Um, As if they weren't having a hard moment anyways, you know? So I won't harp on that too much because it's pretty straightforward. Like, you can implant memories. I'm horrified. Stay out of my brain and keep your verbs to yourself. (laughs) But I'm here to freak you out even more and tell you that you can do this all by yourself. Uh, There is some serious DIY false memory available to us anytime we want it. And as we discussed earlier, false memories are part of the umbrella term of memory misattribution, and there are two more types. Cryptomnesia and source confusion. Source confusion is my favorite. Um, But we'll start with cryptomnesia. Cryptomnesia is when our subconscious memory influences us to consider our conscious thoughts as new or novel. And what I mean by that, in simpler terms, is that sometimes we have a phrase or a thought or a joke or a song or an idea kicking around our head, and then later, years later, I don't know, later, it bubbles up and we think it's our original brain creation. Mm. So, like, we'll hear something in our head and be like, oh, God, that's so smart. I'm so smart. Yeah. <laughs> so I say a joke, and everyone laughs. I'm hysterical, of course. True. So everyone's Absolutely laughing. True. And I pat myself on the back, and I say, wow, Allie, you're so clever and witty, and your joke is so funny. That was such a good joke that you had. But actually, 
that's a joke that you, Sam, told me freshman year of college. <laughs> and I think, I'm plagiarizing it. I think the two of us do that to each other We a do lot. it a lot. Yeah, no, I we do. we both do it. I remember, because our friends would start saying to us, like, we would pick up each other's, like, isms, and yeah. we'd be like, did Sam do that first, or did you? And I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know at this anymore. point, I have no idea. I don't know. Um, but... No, I'm sure I do that all the time. Like, I do I, it, yeah, too. Yeah, you do it all the time. It just happens. Like, yeah. So, like, it's not plagiarism, because you didn't mean it. Yeah. <laughs> but it is plagiarism, because it wasn't yours. Yeah. Um, memory is a flat circle. <laughs> and that's a joke I just made up that has nothing to do with True Detective. <laughs> okay, so on to my favorite, which is source confusion. I learned about this in high school in AP Psych, every class of which I remember very clearly because I had a big crush on my AP Psych teacher. <laughs> um, memory works like that sometimes. So I will start with an anecdote. Brian Williams, a famous news anchor, had several times recounted, you're getting so excited, you know this story, had several times recounted a story of when he was in Iraq in 2003 in a helicopter covering the war. The helicopter came under fire and was shot down out of the sky, though miraculously, I believe everyone survived. This story was reported on and eventually ended up getting passed around social media until the flight engineer of the helicopter, Lance Reynolds, wrote on Facebook, Sorry, dude, I don't remember you being on my aircraft. I do remember you walking up about an hour after to ask me what had happened. So after that got picked up, Williams retracted his version of the story and apologized, saying that the fog of over 12 years and the direness of the situations had caused him to misremember. He had actually been flying directly behind the helicopter in question. So, like, what do you make of that? Like, is he trying to steal glory by placing himself in this narrative, this dangerous, heroic narrative? Or did his memory genuinely just remember this situation so vividly that over time he believed he was on the aircraft being shot out of the sky? You know, the wild and fascinating thing to me about this is that we will never know. Mm -hmm. And he may never know. Yeah, It's really just a matter of trust in a person who is a hundred percent telling you a lie. So, blah! It's crazy. It Another is. great example of this is Ronald Reagan gave a speech about a war hero who he gave a medal to and was, like, tearing up, talking about awarding this person. And he was actually recounting a story from the 1944 film Wing and a Prayer. <laughs> so that's priceless and I love it. Oh and God. a separate topic that we should cover at some point is people who refer to themselves as Reagan Republicans. Like, that's a good thing. Get out of my face. <laughs> Another aspect of source confusion is something called imagination inflation, which sounds like a slamming schoolhouse rock episode. It really does. Um, imagination inflation is when details of a story that actually happened get inflated over time because they're living in your memory that's next to your imagination. That's how the brain is set up, by the way. Like, there's the memory part is, like, right next to the imagination part. So I, have, I think we should have put a up. hallway between those guys. I think so, too. I have no idea how the brain works. <laughs> and this reminds me of the story that you told us in episode 32 about your traumatic ski incident, <laughs> which I'm sure has nothing to do with this because it was 100% factual and you were desperately trapped in a ditch for many, many hours. Yeah, I was there. <laughs> Absolutely. I know what happened. Um, another scarier example of this is the idea of false confessions. Yeah. So it sort of ties into false memories, but maybe you were in the same area as a crime and you don't remember where you were and, you know, your mind can just run away with these things because you also have an imagination and memories aren't something that you can flip through. They just live in your brain mm -hmm. and your brain is malleable. And so the last thing I'll say about source confusion and then we're done, I promise. There's something called the Dees-Rodiger-McDermott paradigm. 
say that 12 times. Oh my god. And it makes us recall things in conjunction with others if they align with a certain theme. So, Sam, can we do an experiment? I'm scared, but yes. Uh, I'm going to say a list of words. Mm-hmm. And you just let me say them all the way through. Mm-hmm. So there's 11 words. Mm-hmm. I'm going to list them, and then we'll take a beat. And then you try to repeat as many of those back to me as possible. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> it's you, You're not going to get it right. It's fine. Okay. Um. All right. So I'm going to start. Bed, rest, awake, tired, dream, wake, snooze, snore, nap, yawn, drowsy. <sighs> all right. Give me him. Uh, bed, rest, awake, tired, sneeze, snore, um, dream, uh, nap. Was nap one of them? Um, uh, uh, bed. Did I say bed already? Yes. Um, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> I think so. I don't remember. Um, I don't remember. Um, uh, drool. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like whatever the point is, I we made, made the it. point. In theory, so all of these things have to do with sleep. Yeah. So you said drool, which wasn't one of them, <laughs> so I guess that counts. But, like, many, many people in the experiment recalled sleep as being one of the words. Oh. So, because they all have to do with sleep, but they're not. None the of them actually sleep. Word sleep, but you said drool, so that counts. <laughs> You're smarter than everyone else that uh-huh. just said sleep like an idiot. <laughs> I'm more creative than you, test participants. Absolutely. Um, so the last thing that I wanted to talk about is something that was actually sent in to us on Twitter by a friend of ours from college, Katie O'Byrne, so shout out, thank you. Yay! And that is the Mandela Effect. This is also referred to as commonly held false memory or collective false memory. And I'm sure you can kind of see where I'm going with this. Yes. This is a phenomenon where many people share a false memory surrounding a significant event or incident in history or pop culture. Some examples of this are that many people remember the Berenstain Bears as being spelled Berenstain. So I actually don't know how it's pronounced, but it's spelled B-E-R-E-N-S-T-A-I-N. So like stain at the end. And everyone calls it the Berenstein Bears and spells it that way, but it's never been spelled that way. I am one of those people. I think it's... It, oh my god, me too. Yeah, the Bears. weird. I always was like, I called them the Bernstein Bears, which is also wrong. The Bernstein Bears. Yeah, <laughs> which is wrong on a different level, but I, I still that. think that end part is correct. Um, Hannibal Lecter never said hello, Clarice. Mm. Uh, Darth Vader never said, Luke, I am your father. Yeah. I think most people know that one at that point. This phenomenon was coined the Mandela Effect by Fiona Broom, who remembered, along with many others, when Nelson Mandela died in prison in the 1980s as she had watched clips of his funeral on TV and discussed what happened with loved ones. The only problem with that is that Nelson Mandela died in 2013. (laughs) But many people remember him as having died. So Broom and others used this as a jumping off point to discuss the possibility of alternate realities, mm-hmm. which I'm always happy to discuss. <laughs> Anytime you're like, do you want to talk about alternate realities? I'm like, yes, give me a minute. I'm going to be here with you. Yeah. However, the more likely scenario is that these instances are an example of social reinforcement. Um, so, like, one person has a bad idea, and then everyone else is like, yeah, that's probably true. We have lots of great examples of that in our current country. So, yeah, it's more likely that people are just remembering stuff wrong. And then they're like, yeah, that's it. And then they tell other people that. So, 
I'm out of breath. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much more. I could talk for 17 more hours about memory, mm-hmm. and all of it is scary. Yes. But basically, like with Cartesian skepticism, but in a much more real and tangible way, mm-hmm. don't believe yourself fully ever. And that's troubling, and that can maybe be misconstrued in a bad way. You know, like, there is always the chance that you are wrong, even if you're completely sure with every fiber of your being. But that doesn't necessarily mean you shouldn't hold fast to your convictions. Yeah. It just means that you need to investigate the genesis of your beliefs. Yeah. And that will make your beliefs stronger. Mm-hmm. You need to ask yourself, like, why am I thinking this? Where is it coming from? You know, am I being a reputable source to myself? Yeah. And I mean, you won't always be right, but it's always a good idea to just like, check. Mm-hmm. Like, what? Because it could be, like, implanted. Yeah. By someone. Yeah, and it doesn't, like, just because it's happening doesn't mean that, like, you're a bad person who's lying. Like, that's right. not what that is. And I feel bad, like, if Brian Williams wasn't actively trying to make himself this war hero by lying about yeah. what soldiers were doing, he must feel like such a dick. Yeah, <laughs> like, there's, I a, would. there's a great episode of um, Malcolm Gladwell's podcast where they talk mm-hmm. about kind of this, like, the specifically the Brian Williams story. And then, like, another story of these two guys who were in World War II together. And one of the, one of them was, like, a comedian traveling mm-hmm. with the group. And one of them was, like, an actual soldier. And the comedian remembers, like, going on this raid. And then, like, it was this big, huge thing. And when they opened the door, it was two grandmas. And in the official report that the guy filed, it was, like, eight real soldiers. And then in a book that he wrote many years later, it was, like eight grandmas that were concealing two real soldiers. Like, they just remembered it different ways throughout their lives. But they were both there in the room. And it's like with imagination inflation, it's, you know, you there's stories from your life that you tell so many times, whether it's funny or devastating or... It just... It changes. Mm -hmm. Every time you use a different word to describe what happened, it's different forever. Yeah. Like, you are making an indelible mark on your memory, and therefore the retelling of history itself. Yeah. And that's wild. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's crazy to think about. Uh-huh. And I wanted to give you a personal anecdote quickly, which is that I was coming home from work last week, and I was finally listening to the Heaven's Gate podcast <gasps> by Glenn Washington, um, which it's we so already good. covered that. Oh, God, it's so good. And you, I want... s- you see why I was so emotional when I know. I was oh, my God. It. I was crying, like, yeah. several times at work, um, and I want Glenn Washington to come on this podcast more than anything else in Glenn. the world. So right when I was listening to that, I was driving, and he mentioned tea, um, and there was a sound clip, and, you know, he said the word tea, and I look up, and I see a sign that says Mary Lou Avenue, and I flip the fuck out because I'm like, fuck, they were right, like, they're from the next level, like, I just got a sign from the heavens, like, oh my god, like, I, you know, like, he's telling me that it's, like, happening, yes. and then, like, an hour later, I remember it was Bonnie Lou Nettles, Mary <laughs> like, I was having a full faith meltdown, like, oh my god, like, I'm being called to the next level, like, holy shit. literally it was that easy to just, like, completely <laughs> disrobe me of my mental, like, convictions. Oh my so, god. That was wild. But, like, what if it was Bonnie Lou Nettle? Can, can you, can you fucking imagine? If it was Bonnie Lou Avenue. If I looked up and it was, like, by? Bonnie, and I was like, what? That's hilarious. But those things just happen, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's just sort of the silly nonsense of being alive. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, uh-huh. I maybe I'll do another episode on memory, 
They're so, like, every time you open a Wikipedia page, it's like, this can also refer to, like, like a thousand (laughs) other things to do with memory and memory error. Mm -hmm. Like, there's error and then just normal things that happen that are totally fine that aren't errors but are also terrible. Yeah. So, I'm tired. I know. I love the theory about the Mandela effect and alternate realities. That's you one love of my it? favorite. It's like there is a Berenstein Bears somewhere. Yeah. And, and we, in that reality, Nelson Mandela dies in the 80s. Yeah. And like, And like at know. some point, a big part of the population just reality hopped and didn't yeah. realize it because everything else is pretty much the same. Crazy. Yeah. It's one of my fave theories. There's a, like a fiction podcast called Rabbits. That deals with, like, that and, like, the theory that this girl is discovering that, like, there's a reality where this happened and, like, she reality jumped and she's just realizing now that, like, this vivid... I love that shit. Yeah, she, like, it's, like, she had this vivid dream of, like, burning down her house when she was a kid and then she woke up in the morning and it was fine and her parents were like, what is your problem? And she was like, I burned down the house last <laughs> night. Oh my god. Like, I burned it down. <laughs> And, like, she, like, went to therapy for years, and then she discovers that, like, she, did. she jumped realities that night. So she did burn down her house, but then jumped realities. Can I get real for- with you for a second? All right. So in the <laughs> summer of 2010, I got way too hot. <laughs> and I had a full-scale meltdown. I had, a like, a, a panic attack that was triggered by just weed. Yeah. Um, and Is that I... the one that has that picture of you with the red Solo cup? Yeah. It's <laughs> a great photo. We all post that on Twitter. <laughs> There's a picture of me from that night. Um, and I had a full-scale meltdown, and, like, I was just going literally out of my wits. Like, it was like I was on acid. Like, I've never mm-hmm. done anything worse than that, but, you know. I And I, I thought I died. Like, I thought I died, and then this was, like... The, the me like my punishment for dying was like living in the world <laughs> knowing i had died are you like are you laughing i'm so serious oh my god and girl. so i got over it like a week after but every now and then i'm like i'm fucking dead like none of this even matters because i'm dead like this is just my afterlife like you should I, get that tattooed i can on totally you. reset this all like and that's why i don't smoke anymore but like it just that happened. Yeah. And, like, what if that was an alternate reality? Yeah, you reality jumped that night. And, like, I hear everyone being like, come on, Allie. <laughs> <laughs> but I could have. You don't know. I also remember I was in the bathroom freaking out, and the dog in that house, like, was started pawing on the door. Oh, my God. And I started screaming. <laughs> like, screaming so loud. <laughs> I'm dying. Oh. Jill Safaro, that happened in your house if you're out there. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was... So yeah, maybe this is just an this is just a reality jump. Yeah, get wrecked, fuckers. This is just my reality jump. Who knows? But oh my god, memory, memory, all alone in the moonlight. Yeah, I feel like Trixie and Katya. There's so much space. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, oh, yeah. what are you gonna talk about? Mine's Something quite a, way less mine's heady. Quite a bit lighter. Okay, thank goodness. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, I know what this is. Yeah, you do. So, do you want to describe our evening last night? Yeah, so, um, the other day, you and I and some of our friends, and yes, listeners, we do have other friends. Yeah. A couple. Just a handful. <laughs> we went apple picking, and then we had, like, a really fun movie night. Movie night! It was We watched blast. Moana, we all cried. We all wept tears. Um, and, but then one of the films we watched was the 2000 classic, The Emperor's New Groove. A... Just, like, mind-bendingly wonderful mu- movie. Yeah. I love so that fun. movie. So good. 
So as we're watching Emperor's New Groove, um, I Google it because I'm a millennial. You are. And I discovered something shocking and groundbreaking. (laughs) This is like a Shane Dawson (laughs) undercover. Absolutely. This is an expose. The Emperor's New Groove was originally a completely different movie with a completely different plot and music by Sting. And there is a documentary that has been banned by Disney and made by Sting's wife called The Sweatbox about this total disaster production. So we're like fucking on the front lines of this right (laughs) now. Tell me everything you know. Yeah, so I went home that night, last night, (laughs) watched the whole documentary until like 1.30 and then texted you and told you do not watch this. Because I'm going to talk about it tomorrow. <laughs> and here we are. And here we are now. So that brings us to this moment. Who? I am going to talk about Kingdom of the Sun, the movie that became Emperor's New Groove. Let's get it going. So the idea for Kingdom of the Sun was conceived by Roger Allers and Matthew Jacobs. Allers was the director of The Lion King. So when he came to Disney with this idea in 1994, which was the same year that Lion King came out, they were like, Hell fucking yeah. Get it. There's like a quote on record that's like, this has all the elements of a perfect Disney movie. Which, who? (laughs) Allers. Light racism. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Tokenization. Perfect. Sexism. Um, Allers was really inspired by the people of Peru and Inca culture, and he really wanted to like, use that culture in this movie. And he quickly signed on, like, an all-star cast that included David Spade, Eartha Kitt, some other famous people who were later cut from the movie that I'm going to talk about in a minute. More famous than that? Yeah. Oh, wow. And he gets Sting to do the fucking music. That's right. Sting. Yeah, man. Sting of the police. Um, And it has, like... Cusco. Cusco. So Sting, like, signs on. He's really excited. He's going to write six songs for it. And this all sounds like really great, a surefire hit. Except they show the first vision to Disney producers. And so this has about 20% of the story animated, and then the rest is storyboarded out. And it has all the music done and all the voiceovers done. Fully? Yeah, pretty much. Like before they even get the okay? Well, they no. had the okay for the project. Oh, so they had the okay, but they're just now bringing it to But producers. yeah, this is like, this, it's like, v, this is V1, you know? Got it. And then Got we'll it. we'll go back and we'll write a couple new scenes and we'll cut a couple scenes, but this is, you know, the movie. I have a really cool cousin who works out for Disney and he used to work for Cartoon Network and I got to go to the Cartoon Network studios once. That's so cool. And he had like post-its all around his room. Like the whole office was mm-hmm. covered in post-its, like storyboarding out their TV episode. And I was like, this is how you do it? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like, it, it seems like it has all these great elements. But the producers tell them that pretty much nothing in the movie works and they have to change all of it. Good. After finishing... A great meeting. <laughs> after finishing 20% of the animation, which takes God. for fucking ever. Eartha Kit's gonna be so pissed. Eartha Kit was a little pissed. <laughs> so, I'm going to pitch Kingdom of the Sun to you now. Yes! I have found the plot based both on the clips that are in the documentary The Sweatbox And there's this guy who used to work for Disney Animation. His name is Nick Ranieri. And he, like, posted on his Facebook, like, here are the outlines we were given when we signed on for this project. And then I think he left the project before it became Emperor's New Groove. But I am just curious to see, like, what you think of this pitch. Give me it. 
So this movie begins with a creation myth. Uh, we're going to start there. That's how it starts. It tells a tale about a god of darkness ruling the world. And then there's a creator god. And the creator god lassos the sun and pulls it to earth. And then the sun defeats the darkness god. The darkness god is banished. And then a kingdom springs up where this battle happened. Okay. And this would have been like a prologue number sung by Sting. Love that. Right? So then we'd meet the protagonist of the story. Cusco! Pancha. What? Yes, that's right. In this version of the film, Pancha is not like a kind family man peasant voiced by John Goodman. He is a young, kind llama herder voiced by Owen Wilson. Owen Wilson? Owen Wilson! Recorded for this movie. Alright, strike one on Kingdom of the Sun. I know! I loved Owen Wilson, frankly. But... Wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm into that. But so he was the original protagonist of this movie. And he has a song called Walk the Llama Llama, which is about the importance of llamas to Incan culture. Uh, if you want, we can listen to a version of it recorded by Rascal Flats. Do you want that? I want to do that after this. Okay, right after. <laughs> we'll listen to Walk the Llama Llama. It's fine. He didn't sing it, though, good. Was I mean, he gonna sing it? I'm, I'm guessing they would have gotten, like, a singer to sing it yeah, as him. But so, at the end of this number, this kind llama herder, Pancha, runs into the emperor's retinue, and he meets the emperor's advisor, Yzma, voiced by Eartha Kitt. Love her. Still her. Icon. And she tells him that his favorite llama, Snowball, has been chosen as a sacrifice for the emperor's coronation, and they take Snowball. Snowball! I know, Pancha follows them into the city to save his llama. Meanwhile, Yzma is evil. This stays in the real version. But in this version of the story, she was once like the court beauty and she has aged and she blames the sun for all her wrinkles. So she's in communication with the god of darkness that got banished earlier in the movie. And so she has this plan that she's going to kill the emperor and snuff out the sun. And then she'll be young and beautiful forever because the sun can't give her wrinkles. She could use just like Avon cream. (laughs) Gotta snuff out that sun. All right, well. She has a number here called Snuff Out the Light. Love it. That would have been very fun. More Eartha Kit is always good. Yeah, she doesn't say anything really. I know. And this number, like you can listen to this number. It's very good. I love her. It's a blast. She's performing. So, Pancha is sneaking into the palace to find Snowball the Llama and he ends up meeting the emperor. He is a vain, arrogant young man, voiced by David Spade. This stays the same. What's his name? Cusco! It's not. What? His name is Monko. Jesus Christ. Uh, originally, this was the emperor's name, but then they found out that uh, in Japanese, Monko means pussy. So nope. they changed it. To Cusco? To Cusco. I won't stop singing it. I love it. <laughs> it's it's so catchy. Um, so in this movie, the emperor Monko... And Pancha, the llama herder, realized something odd. They look exactly the same. Surprise, the original version of this was a Prince and the Pauper story. Whoa. So, Manko had wanted to go to the tavern that night, but he has this... And this is... It's like a necklace that's also like a god and his advisor. This sounds like a lot like Moana. Yeah, kind of. And its name is Huaka and it is voiced by Harvey Firestein. <gasps> I love that. And so Huaka has said that he can't go to the tavern and so Mako decides that they'll switch places for the night. So Pancho will get to stay in luxury in the palace 
and Mako will get to sneak out and go to the tavern, and in the morning they'll switch back. Okay. But- Does he get turned into a llama at any point? Yes. So Yzma- Yzma? Yzma. 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 That's how- That's how Kronk <laughs> says it. Is Kronk not involved? He's not in the Kill movie. Kill me. He's not in this, this movie. This is garbage. Um, Yzma sees Mako leaving the palace and follows him into town and means to kill him but accidentally turns him into a llama. Fair enough. Same as in the Fair movie we saw. Fair enough. And then he goes and hides with a llama herd and she can't find him. And this means that in the morning, Pancha has to keep pretending to be the emperor and he's like coronated that morning. And Huaka realizes that he's not the emperor, but, like, tries to keep him up there until he can find Manko. Right. And then Huaka gets a, res- a Rex Harrison-esque number called, Why Can't a Human Be More Like a Rock? Love it. Um, that there's, like, a whole clip. They tell Sting that they need a song for Waka, and, like, in a, I guess, a pitch meeting, one of the producers had been like, I don't get him. Like, what is his thing? And one of the writers had been like, well, he just wants humans to be more like rocks, I guess. And so literally, like, it's beat by beat, why can't a woman be more like a man from My Fair Lady? <laughs> like, it wow. sounds so like it's, a it's just, it's a parody, but like, it's just so odd that he wrote this whole number. You're losing me. I yeah. gotta say you're losing me. <laughs> right? So, Pancha is a way better person than Mongo, so he ends up being a much better emperor, and the people love him. And he falls in love with Mongo's intended bride, whose name is Nina, and she's, like, really interested in him. And she's like, why is Monko nice all of a sudden? And she's played by the mom from Spy Kids, Carla Gugino. Oh, my God. Um, and they have a love duet called One Day She'll Love Me. I'm obsessed. I know. <laughs> Meanwhile, both, it's so, there's so much happening. There's a lot happening. So Yzma and Huaka are both looking for Monko. And Yzma finds him first and goes to, like, make him a sacrificial llama. But... Pancha pretending to be Manko the Emperor had said that we're not allowed to do llama sacrifices anymore. Because so, he's like, but Snowball. Yeah, exactly. He's always thinking about Snowball. So people are like, wait, like, Yzma, da-da-da. And she's like, that's not the real Emperor. And he, she, like, reveals that it's not really him. Then she straight kills Manko and releases the Darkness God. What? Yeah, they go up to the altar and they find that the llama version of Manko has been killed. You can't do this. is a Disney movie. <laughs> So the dark, darkness god is released and the little stone Huaka guy is like, Pancho, you have to lasso the sun. And like Pancho does it. And then like the whole town helps him like pull the sun down. It defeats the darkness monster. And then the sun brings Manko back to life and turns him human. And like Manko is so humbled and he's like, Pancho, you can be king if you want. And Pancho's like, no, I want to go back to my llamas. But like, can I marry your fiance? And Manko's like, yes, go for it. Marry and then they her. sing a reprise of Walk the Llama Llama, and that's the end of the movie. So I see why Disney executives found this confusing. Agreed. There's I feel a... like it's when you were explaining Spider-Man the musical. Yeah, it, it feels really similar. Except in this, um, the edges sting. Exactly. <laughs> but, like, there's a lot going on, but what they end up pitching is the solution is so different. Basically, there's, like, one writer, like, assistant writer in the room, and they're like, we just hate all of it. We just hate all of it, and I need you to pitch something else. And this other writer is like, what if it's, like, a buddy comedy? And they're like, perfect, go with that. And the guy's like, oh, that was my only pitch. Oh, my God. So they cut the gods, they cut the prince and the pauper, they cut the romance, they cut Yzma's obsession with staying young, they cut Harvey Firestein. 
they cut poor Owen Wilson and they fundamentally change Pancha so that he's now John Goodman. And what's the bad news? We have the Emperor's new groove now. <laughs> I know, I know, but I feel so bad for poor Roger Ehlers, the director. I know, this is wild. This shouldn't, this isn't how this should have gone. <laughs> and, like, he quits because he's like, this is a different project. <laughs> like, yeah. this isn't my project anymore. And quite a few of the animators leave at this time as well because they're like, these characters aren't the characters we were working on. Specifically in the documentary, the guy who was, like, the main animator on Yzma loved her so much. Oh. And then when they made her, like, a little bit more one-dimensional, he was like, I'm not interested in this. He's French. <laughs> um, and I felt so bad because he had been so excited about it at the beginning of the documentary. Aww. He's like, I've never done a female villain and, like, she's so interesting and da-da-da. And then she was like, I'm no longer interested by her. So the other thing that happens... <laughs> is that they have to scrap all of Sting's songs. He wrote a whole movie of songs! They are so tightly tied in with the old plot, they cannot use any of them. Oh my god. In the documentary, you can tell this all really fucks with Sting. Like, he was finding the process really difficult anyways, because he wanted to, like, write songs and deliver them and be done. But instead, they'd be like, oh, we need this song to be 30 seconds shorter. And he'd be like, this is the song. Like, I'm not going to cut 30 seconds out of a song because you need it to be shorter. Yeah, I'm an artist. I'm Sting. And they would be like, we need it to be 30 seconds shorter. We can cut it if you want. And he was like, no, you can't cut it. You're cutting the wrong stuff. And they were like, then you have to be cutting it. So, like, he was already so upset. But he had also said from the beginning that the thing he really liked about this story was, like, this massive scale of it. That it was a story of, like, gods and men. And now it's just a story about, like, a llama and a dude wandering through the mountains. And he's, like, so bored. He's also trying to write another album, so he just has no time for it. And for the final film, he ultimately only writes Perfect World, sung by Tom Jones, which is a banger. Ah, oh, love it. Um, and he writes the song that plays over the credits that's called My Funny Friend and Me, which is, like, kind of a holdover from the original story. It's, like, Pancha and Manco would have sung it together. And, but it... It's so out of place. That's the thing that we were remarking on, is that it was, like, Tom Jones wailing it, and lo- we're loving it, and it's this crazy, ridiculous movie that's got such a fabulous aesthetic, and then all of a sudden, as the credits start rolling, it's just Sting, like, feeling soft and sultry, and we're like, oh, this makes total sense, <laughs> that this is just, like, a holdover. Yeah. So, like, it seems like everyone who worked on this project was thoroughly fucked up about it. Like, the producers even were saying, like, every movie, you know, changes. This one, the most. (laughs) (laughs) But all movies. Like, they were trying to put on a good face, but it was so rough. And I'm begging you to go to YouTube and type in the sweat box. There's this, like, weird version that, like, has the timestamp on the bottom. Like, it's clearly very bootlegged. But Disney won't let this documentary go out anywhere else. So it's the only place you can find it. This feels like back alley shit, and I love it. I know, right? Um, the bummer is that Emperor's New Groove, which is what this movie became, was, like, a box office disappointment. Like, it didn't do that well. Even Are you though, serious? Yeah. It, it only made, like, 80 million, which how for a is Disney that? movie. How? How? Yeah. Tell me how. That's my favorite Disney movie, I think. I it's so good. It did really well with critics. Critics gave it, like, an 84%. They liked it. It's a good film. That's it. I know. And the original version didn't even have Kronk. I would die for Kronk. <laughs> <laughs> I would die for Kronk. My spinach puffs. Yeah, but, like, so that's the hard thing is, like, it's not like they made this masterpiece of masterpieces with Emperor's New Groove. You can disagree. But the box office numbers tell us that, like, not everyone agrees with you. 
But like confused by that. I'm horrified. Like I don't know if Kingdom of the Sun would have been better. I think it would have been. But what if it was fabulous? Yeah. What if it was was, like? What if it defined us? Yeah. Probably wouldn't. The Walk the Llama Llama is pretty dumb. Okay. They rhyme llama with panorama. So no. So we wouldn't have gotten anything better. I don't know. All I can know is squeak squeak um squeak squeak, (laughs) which is squirrel for I'm horrified. (laughs) Yes. Uh, that's everyone, all I your have. homework everyone is to just go watch Emperor's New Groove after you watch Swe- the Sweatbox yeah. or no what what order should you do it in you should watch Emperor's New Groove first I do think yeah and then watch the Sweatbox that's, that's what, what I did, did. Yeah. yeah and I did it like illuminated things for me that I was like holy shit oh I just watched that uh, think of the things we would have lost I know you should watch it you would love this documentary I'm very excited you have to, to watch, watch it later it. but oh wild wild two wild topics we spoke about yeah, today yeah it's true I wonder what Roger Ayler's memories about this are, because I hope he's fractured. had some false yeah. ones. He remembers Sting, like, throwing a table. <laughs> Poor Sting. The producer's just, like, tipping over everything. When they initially tell Sting that they're cutting the six songs he wrote from the movie on the phone, he goes, okay, well, I'm gonna go to the Himalayas. I may not come back. <laughs> <laughs> That's a mood. <laughs> uh... That's all we got for you folks. We're tapped out. I feel drained from both I'm these drained. stories. Yeah. But, you know, all right. So there's three things that we need you to do. Yes. So watch Ember's New Groove. I'm begging you. Watch the sweatbox. I'm pleading with you. And stay horrified. Stay horrified. <laughs>